Hello and welcome to this new podcast episode by Windhorse Publications. My name is Dama Mega and I'm the Publishing Director. And uh, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what we'll be doing today. Because in April this year, we'll be publishing a book called This Fresh Existence, which is by the author Cindy Rassicott. And the book is about Venerable Dhammananda, who's an extraordinary woman who became the first fully ordained Thai monastic woman uh, after a very successful career as a TV presenter, as an academic. She took the robes and has really revolutionized the situation for women who are wanting to live a monastic life in Thailand. Um, and she's been very successful in doing that. So this book, This Fresh Existence, is a, a biography of Venerable Dhammananda. It includes some really delightful um, bits of really accessible teaching about forgiveness and loneliness and um work and life meaning and practice and meditation. And Cindy, who authored this book, became her student uh, in, in 2005, I think it was, after she met her. And since then has had this really strong relationship with Venerable Dhammananda um, as a student, as her author. Uh, and there's part of this book is an amazing dialogue about what it means to be a student of a teacher, a Buddhist teacher, and what it is to have one's own practice be rooted in a relationship with a teacher. So I got a chance to speak to Cindy uh, today, and uh, what we have for you today in the podcast is really a discussion not so much about Venerable Dhammananda and her biography, but about what uh, Cindy has learned, experienced, what transmission is about, what inspired her about um, particularly a kind of approach to transformation that has um, love and ethics and non-hatred at its core, um, about forgiveness and about a life that she's currently leading really in service to the vision that of Venerable Dhammananda. So I find it a really fascinating conversation about what it means uh, for Cindy herself to practice, what that looks like. Um, and uh, I hope you really enjoy the podcast episode. Hi, Cindy. Hi. <laughs> so um, it's really lovely to speak with you today. And uh, we've been working together for the last well, a while now, isn't it, about your upcoming book, which is going to be called This Fresh Existence. Yes. Yes. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> and it, it continues so, to be. <laughs> so this is your second book, but the first one that we're publishing. Before we get on to the book, uh, well, maybe let's do it this way. Uh, at one point in your life, and we'll talk about this again, you went to Thailand and you met Venerable Dhammananda, who has become your teacher. And this mm -hmm. book is about her and also about your uh, relationship with her as her student and supporting her teaching and amazing, amazing life to be better known in the Buddhist world. Yes. 
But but I'm always curious, like uh, something like this, uh, a life that you're leading now like this, it, it usually has quite deep roots. And I'm curious to know who you are, who you were before you met Venerable Damananda. What was your life like on the cusp of meeting her? Yes, well, I, I like to go back to an early day experience when I was about four or five. Um, I call myself a spiritual seeker because I think I've always been interested in spirituality, questions of uh, issues of what's beyond us and um, wanting to find a place of belonging and make sense of my world. And that happened when I was about five. We actually lived in the deep South and the segregated South in the fifties. And, um, which was an interesting place for a Jewish family at that time. But that aside, um, there was a moment when I remember turning to my brother and asking him, where is God? And he said, everywhere, which I think of my brother as a bit of an existential soul. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. But but I, I started to look in the bushes because I thought, you know, maybe there's something concrete out there that I can identify with. And a lot I didn't find it, but it kind of marked in my t- life, life timeline, if you will, a point where I began to realize that, that that's who I am. That's what I'm looking for a larger presence. And when I went to Thailand, at that point, I'd been probably married about 20 years. I was 54, midlife. I was not particularly happy in my career. I was doing something called development or fundraising, although I had trained to be a counselor, a psychotherapist. I had shifted away from that career. And I was sort of, in my words, marking time with my life. And my my then husband and my 13-year-old son and I moved to Thailand, which was very exciting for us. We were actually supposed to go to Argentina, and my son is actually adopted from Paraguay, so we thought South America would be very interesting, but that fell through as, as things do. And serendipitously, I ended up in Thailand, and so... I didn't have to work because you can't have two people with a visa working in Thailand. Only one partner can have that. And I was looking to explore uh, what can I do with my life and what will be meaningful and interesting to me. So I was kind of in a place of exploration, you might say. Um, Although when I met Venerable Damananda, I was not looking for a spiritual teacher. It just happened. And that to me is kind of the beauty of the teaching is that I suppose when the student is ready, the teacher appears is is one way to say it. It just kind of happened. It was in a conference and there was this electric moment when she spoke about the um, kind of the futility of anger. And what she said was, we cannot solve anything with anger. Anger doesn't get us anywhere. And it's much harder to practice loving kindness and compassion. That is the goal of Buddhism. And that just turned on a light within me. And I was immediately drawn to her, sort of like a magnet. She's a very open person, always has been. 
and very uh, willing to, she just said, anybody who wants to come down to the temple, come down and visit me. And, and, and honestly, that's how it all started. It was just a voice inside of me that said, oh, this woman speaks to me. I want to pursue. I don't know what's there. I just, I'm curious. I want to pursue that. And had anger been a feature in your life? Oh, yes. Rage. Full-blown rage. Yes. Um, mm. I had, I, I don't, it doesn't happen to me anymore, but there were times when I would kind of blow up and explode and, I mean, obviously do in a, do or say inappropriate things, not so much physical as verbal. And um, it seemed like a stuck point in my life. So that really spoke to me. What is she like? What is what is Venerable Damananda like? You've you've spent quite a lot of time with her mm -hmm. over the years between then and now. How would you describe her? Well, first of all, she's a born teacher. So when she's speaking in front of a group, there's a different I have a different sense of her than when I'm one on one with her. She's very dynamic, very animated, very charismatic interesting. She will tell personal stories and make her stories come alive. It's not like she's teaching, uh, I'm just going to use an odd word, an ontological explanation of Buddhism from, from a theoretical standpoint. She is talking from a place of presence, practice, and faith. And that's an interesting combination because it's very alive and you feel her energy and her faith in every breath and sentence that she takes. Now, when I'm with her one-on-one, -on -one, she is very present. And when I say that, I mean, and, and maybe this is part of the transmission I received, the presence, her, her being and her presence is so powerful that it kind of paves the way or gave me an example, a living example of how one could be in the world. She's very open-hearted, very open to questions, curious, and uh, able to join in conversation. How important to you was it that this was a woman teacher that you encountered? I think it was imperative. And I say that because of my own personal history that I needed and wanted a female teacher, a strong female role model who could um, almost in a way, not only pave the way for me to see the strength that was inherent in myself as a woman and other women, but also to heal. You, you wrote a first book uh, that was a little bit more in that area of maybe your own kind of uh, trauma history and development, and particularly something about mothers. I talked about the mother wound, which was more the lack of nurturing and warmth and acceptance. And yet, the whole of my history, of course, was not presented in that memoir. There were other aspects that, um, deeper wounds that also, I think, unconsciously, maybe, I was trying to heal. And, um, of course, she's been a guide for me. And in the book, this second book, I talk about the lessons of forgiveness, 
which probably to me is the most powerful of the teachings for me personally. Um, although she, we talked a lot about other issues, compassion, etc. But anyway, getting back to your question, um, yes, it was really important for me to have a, a strong female teacher. And also, you know, I came out of the 1960s in Berkeley where there was a lot of, uh, well, I guess they were riots. Pro protests is a better way to say it. And the women's movement was emerging. And even the class that I took when I first met Venerable was Faith, Feminism, and the Power of Love. And I thought, isn't that interesting that they can pull politics and faith in one concept? And the interesting thing about Venerable is she is a Buddhist first and a feminist second. But she will be honest and say that the Western approach, feminist approach, would not work in Thailand. And I, this has been a great teaching for me, too, from her, because she is a social activist. She does represent change and advocates for change and is an example of change. And um, her methods draw emerge from her Buddhist not her methods, but her, her practice draws from her Buddhist roots. So some people who might be listening to this podcast maybe have never heard of Venerable Dhammananda. Um, so this book is a wonderful introduction to her and her life. Um, but I wonder if in uh, shorthand, you can mm -hmm. say a little bit about what um, well, what it is that, that she has done that you want to share with the world? It's most clearly exemplified in her poem, Crack in the Wall of Patriarchy. What she did, in my view, is kind of phenomenal because she moved out as a single lone what a Theravada nun, because that's the main tradition of Buddhism in Thailand, and chose to literally face the patriarchy direct, directly on. I believe historically, well, not historically, there had been challenges to try to ordain women prior to Venerable Dhammananda. But she was known, she was a TV personality of a popular Dharma show, a well-respected professor for 27 years. She studied the Buddhist scriptures she did what I call revisionist history. She went back into the text and talked about where the Buddha ordained women, where he said women can be spiritually, are spiritually capable of being enlightened, just like men. So she knew of what she spoke. And perhaps that's what makes her such a powerful teacher in my mind, is that she did her research before she took the step to be ordained. At the time she received ordination, she did have to go to Sri Lanka because it's uh, Thailand doesn't permit ordination of women. And um, she she was, I guess she was well known and well respected even before she stepped into the second phase of her life as a monastic. And um, what she did is very, although she will deny it, I think it's very courageous because she did do it on her own. And it was not out of anger 
resentment politics, maybe, although there is certainly a social and political connotation to what she did. She did it out of her faith in the Buddha and her belief in women's place in Buddhism and her desire to establish the Bhikkhuni Sangha, the women's community of ordained monks in Thailand, and to uh, re- uh, go back to what the Buddha called for, which is the fourfold community of ordained monks, ordained nuns, laymen and laywomen. And it seems to have been extremely successful. I mean, obviously she was groundbreaking in doing that, but she's also managed not just to sort of break that barrier, but also nurture uh, growing sangha of bhikkhunis in Thailand. And that's a that's a different kind of task, isn't it, than, than the sort of breaking through the barriers? Yes, it is. She's always had her eyes on building um, the sangha. Her mother, of course, for people who, you know, are unfamiliar with her history, Venerable Voramai was the first female nun bhikkhuni in the Mahayana tradition. And Venerable Damananda grew up from about the age of uh, 15 in Songdamakalyani Monastery, where she currently lives. So the, the, the stones, the, the bricks of monasticism were embedded in her early. But you have to, I have to admire the way she did it so consciously and um, uh, carefully in terms of respect for the tradition and... I'm not quite sure. I'm having a hard time getting the words for it, but she she did a beautiful job. Oh, and I should add, because you mentioned it, there are now, I think, 285 ordained, fully ordained monastic women in Thailand, bhikkhunis. Wow, I didn't realize it was that many already. That's yes, impressive. In, in, I'm not going to quote it, but it's either 37 or 40 provinces. They're all throughout Thailand. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. One of the things I I loved about your book, and it was really striking when we first got to see an early version of the manuscript, is that um, the book does a whole range of things. It introduces Venerable Dhammananda and her li- remarkable life, uh, and it's a great biography. It's a very readable biography of this strong and also tender person. Uh and and we also get to hear little bits of teaching, you know, about loneliness, about jealousy, a lot about forgiveness, uh, about kindness, about, as you say, anger and non-anger and purifying motive. So there's all of this lovely Dharma teaching. And the other thing I loved about this book is your relationship with her and the sort of story of your relationship with her. And I don't know, discipleship is not a very, <laughs> it's not a very contemporary mode, is it? Um, it's, <laughs> it's not, it's, uh, it's got its own uh, loveliness, this idea of, um, or this practice of being in relationship with someone as a path. Um, not the whole of the path, but as a path of uh, development, as a path of of seeing through, as a path of insight. 
And um, of course, there's a whole history. It's not your relationship with her has changed over time. And you give a lovely recollection of that in the book. I wonder if you can just talk about that a little bit, like what it was like at the beginning <laughs> and then the middle and now in your relationship with her. Yes. Um, so in the beginning, I was wide-eyed and adoring and I'm kind of amazed is the word to be in her presence, learning from her. I, I always enjoy her teachings because uh, she's just a very animated teacher. And then <laughs> it is kind of funny, actually, now looking back on it. And then I wrote this book, my, my memoir, which is Finding Venerable Mother. And uh, it, I do go into it in the second book, but there was a huge reckoning and that, at that point, that was 2020. So I had known her for 15 years. And she basically gently and directly let me know that it was kind of too much. My venerable mother, the adoration and the respect and the love, not the love. I mean, that, that sort of stands on its own. But the adoration and the attachment to her was uh, not, she wouldn't use the word healthy, but I would use the word not healthy. So it was at that point that I kind of came into a reckoning in my relationship with her that um, there's a great teaching in that, which is you want to let go of the clinging and attachment so that you can grow spiritually and both out of respect for her, so you're not smothering the person, and for myself, so that I would have the potential to grow spiritually. And I would say at that point, there was kind of a leveling in the relationship where I began to see her more as a person, and she uh, was able to speak to me directly and honestly, which frankly isn't really done in Thailand, but is what Venerable is because of who she is. She's able to do that. And, and then I would say there's a third stage, which happened maybe just only recently in the last year, where we became uh, friends. And in a way where, uh, not going into the personal history, but both of us, our sons have had some difficulties. And we were able to share and exchange on a very personal level. And that was quite beautiful for me because um, in her position, she's revered and as monastics are in Thailand and Asia. And it just, this is not necessarily, this is my conjecture. I don't know that she has that many people that she can talk to on a personal level about such things because first of all, it's private, but second of all, that's not her position. Her position is one of uh, a teacher. So what? what's kind of beautiful, and I don't know if this would have happened if the person were Asian, I'm just thinking about this, is that because I'm Western, I think it gave her permission to cross some boundaries, perhaps, that she wouldn't have been able to do in her own uh, culture and uh, made for a remarkable connection a remarkable connection. Well, I think it 
Going back to the issue of disciple and student and teacher, perhaps that's the most beautiful iteration of the process of what can happen between a student and a teacher is that the teacher helps the student manifest completely to become uh, empowered on their own. I don't, I don't think we talk about that much in terms of lineage and transmission. And, and, and believe me, that is part of the feminine model because it is non-hierarchical. And I think that's what makes Venerable Damananda so strong is when she speaks, she's very honest. She doesn't try to present herself as perfect or, I don't know, know-it-all, even though she does know a lot. It's very human. It's a very human connection. We were talking about that a little bit before we started this podcast, this idea of transmission and particularly the kind of forms of transmission that you've experienced um, as a woman student with a woman teacher, uh, given both of your backgrounds, what do, what do you um, what do you understand by that transmission? I understand it's a very sacred connection, and perhaps that goes back to what I was looking for as a child: that union on a higher level with a spiritual being who is so. Uh, enlightened, I would say, in the sense of her presence, that there's an opening to be invited to understand, learn, imitate, (laughs) uh, embody that within oneself. And this is hard to describe, so let me take a moment to gather my words. Um, I don't see people in the West pursuing relationships with teachers in the same vein as in the in what I see in the Theravada tradition. I can't speak to other traditions. I think monastics are respected as learned teachers, but there's almost a smorgasbord of teaching options and perhaps more of an emphasis on mindfulness and practice rather than the embodied traditions and uh, rituals. And um, it's a lot to put together in my mind right now, but I think what I'm saying is I was just darn lucky. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I was given a huge gift and I am very grateful. And perhaps it's my nature, too. I'm probably better one-on-one with people than I am with a group. But I would sit with her and literally experience in my body the energetic presence of her teaching through uh, tingling uh, sensations. And that's why I think there is something called transmission that's actively transmitted from one person to another. I'm I'm really struck that you have this sort of uh, what you're talking about as spiritual, the sort of like more than more than ordinary human interaction, and also this deep deep humanity of the relationship and uh, 
truth and straight speaking and um, real, you know, real being real in relation to one's own experience. And then the sort of, you know, you spoke about imitation, but then the Im- imitation leads to becoming more yourself, really. Right. Right. Yes. Hmm. And that's the gift of a great teacher, especially in the female tradition, is to empower those who you are teaching and working with so that they may become, in a sense, agents of their own. I'm curious about, uh, in the book, you write a lot, obviously, about the Dharma teachings and your relationship with Venerable, but also there's this lovely thread of your practice with the medicine Buddha. Oh, yes. Say something about that. Yes. The medicine Buddha uh, was key to my healing at a point I had what's called degenerative discs. And I literally was would run walk around with a what I call a blue blow up pillow on an ice pack for about nine years. And when I came to Thailand, it got really bad. And I made a choice to go to Germany to have what's called artificial disc replacement, which are essentially two titanium discs in my lower lower spine. And throughout that process, I had a guide. I had a spiritual guide in my healing. I had two. I had Venerable Damananda as uh, I had met her. So I kind of held her in faith at that point and trust that I would see her again. But I also accidentally saw the med- the original statue of the Medicine Buddha, which was a different uh, figure than the current one that's there in the monastery today. Apparently, there was a big curtain on a stage, look, what looked like a stage, and I peeked behind it, and I saw the blue Medicine Buddha, and I was just blown away. And I came in, and I asked Venerable, what was that? She said, oh, that's the Medicine Buddha. She gave me the... Uh, the prayer told me to take, I think it's three sips of water, I forget now, and then say the prayer and ask for healing, something like that. And I meditated and prayed to the Medicine Buddha every day during probably the next year, which was full of surgery and recovery and physical therapy and all that. And even this last time when I was there, I always meditate deeper when I'm in the presence of the medicine Buddha. It's a very real felt sense of a healer. And, um, you know, you may think, what do you mean you get a feeling from a statue? But there's something about that energetic connection again that comes into play. And she's I would add, just to for listeners to understand that, of course, that is part of the Tibetan tradition. So it shows Venerable's, uh, I mean, she has an interest in the crucified Christ, the medicine Buddha. I mean, she studied all religions, so she has a great appreciation for uh, the sacred, the sacred presence in whatever form it comes forth in various religions. So I'm hoping that um, people who are listening to this will be interested in reading the book when it comes out, which will be in April this year, April 2024. Uh, 
I'm curious. Uh, well, one of the I'm struck by uh, how generous you've been in the writing of this book. Uh, it seems to me that this, the writing of this book and what you're doing now in the follow-up to that is is really about um, supporting the work of Venerable Dhammananda uh, and and getting more people to be able to be in that sphere of influence in in that. Uh, teaching in that inspiration. Um, I'm wondering what you're hoping for as the book <laughs> comes into the world. Well, that, thank you for saying that. Yes, that, that's a great motivation for me in writing this book. And I would say that happened to me early on, probably in 2006 or 2007. I knew that I wanted to ha- uh, be able to tell her story to wider audiences so that other people could benefit from her teachings. Um, I guess that's the beauty of the love of a teacher is that one can embody that love. I almost feel like crying in terms of spreading very important and venerable is the teaching. It's not about I, me, my, mine. And the, the, the beauty is being who she is. And I guess I saw myself as a person who could help spread her, her teachings. I can honestly say this is not about me. It is in part. But the truth is, it's really about Venerable Dhammananda, her grace, her beauty, her strength, her courageous act, and her ability to um, heal, (laughs) heal in the world, offer healing, which we desperately need in these times. Thank you, Cindy. It's really lovely to hear that um, aspiration. I was, almost want to say this aspiration prayer, uh, which yeah. feels like what yeah. it is. Yeah, it's very much a a heartfelt wish to, um, of course, spread the Dharma, and also, hopefully, uh, more people will understand and appreciate her as a person and a teacher. Um, I had the the great joy and pleasure of um, having a little call with you and Venerable some months ago. And um, I mean, she has the most extraordinary presence, uh, even yes. on Zoom. Yeah, I'm glad you <laughs> said a, that. It's, it's hard to put into words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she's as sharp as a tack and uh, extremely um, thoughtful in what she says. I was really struck by, um, she was really communicating with me um, in that interaction. And one of the things she said, which I found really interesting, we spoke about quite a lot of things actually, um, but one of the things she she said was, you know, there's uh, for those of us who are writing or publishing books that are primarily oriented towards readers, kind of English language readers, uh, um, that actually there's not there's not that much of a writing about or from Asian Buddhist teachers into that audience, and that sort of part of our task is also um, 
just to bring some attention and awareness to the amazing work that contemporary Asian teachers are doing now. It's not like oh, Buddhism was in Asia in the past, and <laughs> you know, and now and now there's this sort of Buddhist world, which of course there is, um, but also that there's something about keeping keeping something of the unity of Buddhism around the world alive by looking at what people are doing throughout the world. Um, and and respecting and noticing the work that's being done uh, across the world to well to kind of constantly reestablish the sangha I suppose to constantly transmit the dharma and constantly reestablish the sangha which she's certainly been doing. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. I'm glad you said that because <clears throat> Asian experiencing Buddhism in Thailand is is quite it's ingrained in the life of the people. And if you like ritual and ceremony, which I do, there's much more of that pr- prominent in the tr- practice of the traditions. And um, that appealed to me personally. It's, it's different. It's quite beautiful. Um, it's just a different element. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all I wanted to ask you, unless there's something else that you want to say in anticipation of your book coming out. I just think, yeah, I'll be honest. I think it's an interesting combination of biography, teaching, and the story of transmission. And I was very pleased to hear from you, Dama Mega, because at one point I kind of sat back and scratched my head and I said, does this work? And you said, yes, it does. It's a full-bodied experience and picture of... A woman's story, her history, and her teaching and practical lessons for people, as well as my own personal story and her a little bit of her personal story. So it's it's kind of an enriching. I think I am excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you, Cindy. Thank you for writing it, and thank you for the conversation today. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll have many more conversations once the book is out and about and we can uh, talk about it in a little bit more detail. Windhorse, thank you so much for honoring the work and publishing it. Mm, Absolutely our pleasure. Great. Thank you, Cindy. Windhorse Publications is part of the Tree Ratna Buddhist community. And this podcast is sponsored by Future Dharma Fund a Buddhist fundraising charity which helps fund Dharma projects across the world, including ours. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider donating to them to help them fund current and future projects like ours. You can find out more about Wintour's publications by going to our website. (laughs) 